0: Exploring Mormon Thought features discussions about Mormon doctrine and theology that correlate with topics in the book series of the same name written by scholar and theologian Blake Osler. Find us online at exploringmormonthought.com and facebook.com forward slash exploring Mormon Hi, welcome back to Exploring Mormon Thought. We haven't had a podcast for the past couple of weeks, as you've noticed. We've been either out of town, or I've been busy with work, or other scheduling conflicts. So, sorry about that, but now we're going to keep resuming with going over Fire on the Horizon. And this is chapter 13, talking about original sin and the human condition. So, we've talked about, you know, various aspects of the Adam and Eve story, and ways to look at it and such, because that's kind of the lens through which we are... Taught to view things based on that it's you know the story that we hear in the temple and then we're supposed to relate it to ourselves. So, continuing with that, I'll just start with this quote and then we can discuss the idea of what original sin is and then what the difference in Mormonism is or in Latter Day Saint thought. You say in your book, one of the hallmarks of Joseph Smith's theology is the rejection of actual original sin, which is the notion that we deserve to be punished for what Adam did. According to Joseph Smith, we can only be accountable for our own actions and not morally culpable for the acts of another, including Adam. Rather, we suffer from hypothetical original sin, and that means that we would all be lost and captive to sin if it were not for the atonement. However, as a result of the atonement, we are free to choose for ourselves, that is, we would be consigned to be forever cut off from God without the healing of the relationship, which is to be... At one month. So introduce that concept. Maybe fill us in a little bit more on original sin and why it mattered that Joseph Smith was not teaching that or like what's entailed to that.
1: The way that Joseph Smith approaches the human condition and sinfulness is entirely different from Catholicism or Protestantism. So for Joseph to be in sin means to be without God in the world. It means to be in a way that is contrary to the nature of God. And the point of the atonement is to be able to regain the nature of God that we had before the fall. And what that means essentially is that God is accepting us into relationship. Remember, the atonement consists, and I'm I'm going to make this as easy as I can. The atonement consists in God's accepting us into relationship just as we are, without any conditions. That's salvation by grace. And it is just a matter of sheer, pure, unconditional love. God accepts us just as we are the minute we're willing to turn and return to God. Because we, in this life, have walked away from God, in essence, and the atonement consists in offering relationship and conditioning, and then the process of growing in relationship as we demonstrate our love for God. Something happens at the moment of being accepted into relationship, and that is that God's light, his power, his intelligence, his life enter into us, takes up a boat in us. This is how the scriptures teach it. And we begin on a process of sanctification, that is to be made over in the image of God. And we grow in this process. It's it's something that we work entire lifetimes at. And the whole point of the atonement is to have this shared life grow within us. So we give our life to God and he gives his life to us. And in this growth, the key element is to overcome our alienation from God. So put this back into the context of what sin is. Sin is to engage in acts which harm relationships. It's damage to relationships. Atonement is the unconditional offer of relationship and the willingness to participate in each other's lives, but in a more literal sense, God actually enters into us and we enter into God and we become a one. And so the full and complete atonement is the answer to our condition of being in sin. Now, we're in sin, remember we where we left off last time, we left ourselves in a very desperate situation. We're at the mercy of the causal order of the world that went before us. We've given up our freedom and are not free to take it back. And so the question is, how do we get it back? And the answer is a free gift, accepting a free gift freely, being willing to let go in our lives of everything that gets in the way of entering back into this relationship. And it's not merely the relationship with God, though in a way it is because every relationship includes God. And in healing relationships, we are also healing our relationship with God. So repentance entails looking at the damage that we've done to our relationships and doing whatever it takes to heal those relationships. And the way that we overcome the condition of being in what would otherwise be outside of God's presence is to allow God to enter into us in this manner. In a second, you're going to ask me about the center of this entire endeavor, everything that this book is focusing on. And that is how do we allow God to enter into our lives and how do we enter into God's life?
0: Well, all right. Well, before we go there, this is probably a little bit of a review, but you talk about hypothetical original sin. So from what you just said, I, I guess you're referring to when God had a plan, he wanted us to come here. And to do that, we had to leave his presence. So we did, but that wasn't sin because that was you know, part of the plan. It's not like we came here out of his presence. It's like, oh, you just left my presence. Now you can't come back, you jerks. I can't believe you just sinned. No, that wasn't the damage to the relationship, that was part of what was planned. The damage to the relationship comes, I guess you're saying, as a result of the condition that we find ourselves in when we come to this planet?
1: Of the choice to shut God and others out. The real damage occurs that the most fundamental act that a human does to harm relationships is to have a hard heart, to close our hearts to others, to refuse to allow others into our lives at the most basic level of our existence.
0: You're saying that it's not the same idea as original sin is and we're literally punished for the act that Adam did. We do suffer from the effects of the world that we're born into, such as that we will close our hearts because that's just the nature of being in this type of individual cut off existence that we chose to be in. and That was part of God's plan. But when we do so, then we alienate ourselves from being able to be in the full presence of God.
1: Right. Remember what we've discussed before, and I'm just summarizing it. It is set up in this world so that we will grow up as children. And as we grow up as children, we're going to be hurt emotionally. And when we're hurt emotionally, it hurts so much that we choose not to feel. We choose to shut others out. We say, I'm never going to allow anybody hurt me like that again. And that's a choice is to stop feeling altogether because there's too much risk in having feelings and in being open to people this is what sin actually is, we would be in this condition forever, but for the call that God makes to us to bring us back into relationship is a matter of sheer grace. The atonement consists in God's willingness to share his life intimately, grow and be what he is, but we also grow from learning from our experiences. In other words, being in God's immediate presence made it impossible for us not to have faith in God, made it impossible for us to really exercise free will in relationship to God because his loving presence was so overwhelming that we couldn't but choose God. And so we've been placed in this condition where we have a free choice. We can choose God or we can continue to walk on our own way without him. He stands with his arms open, ready to receive us at any time we're willing to walk back into his arms, but it's a choice that we have to make. And when we make that choice, it's not merely willingness to walk back into God's arms. But to heal every human relationship and every relationship that we have with the world and so forth it is a complete accountability for healing the damage that we have created by choosing to harden our hearts and shut other people out. We've discussed this before. This kind of hardening occurs just as a matter, of course, of being human. Everybody at some point chooses to harden their heart, to shut other people out. And there's not a single one of us who could say that we haven't breached our own moral standards. There's not a single one of us that can say that we haven't been a real idiot at times in in our relationships. Not a one of us can say that we haven't hurt other people. Not a single one of us can say that we have always loved purely and unconditionally and accepted other people for who they are. There's not a single one of us that can say that we always have the pure love of Christ toward others. And because we can't say that, we have some work to do. But we also grow in this. We learn to love in a way that we weren't capable of knowing how to love before because now we're choosing into relationships. We're choosing to overcome the barriers that prevent us from being in these kinds of relationships. And remember, the relationship with God encompasses and includes every single human being who has ever lived or who will ever live. That is the scope of the Mormon view of atonement.
0: All right, and so we'll move on to this next quote here. So it is talking about The way that God sees us and how we'll be weighed or what's being judged, I guess. So, you say, God does not look on the outward appearance. Instead, when God looks at us, he sees our heart and our eternal core that shines with truth. In our hearts, we are connected to eternity. For the energy of light and vibration of love still burns there if we are open to encounter it. The primary challenge of sin is a problem of heart. Sin interferes with our ability to connect to eternity. To feel god's love and constant still whisper moreover the decision to harden our hearts is ours alone so again this is out of context and it's been a little while since i read the chapter but is this referring to like when god will judge us or is this how just god sees us in general
1: god doesn't judge us we judge ourselves we're the ones who choose to leave god's presence we're the ones who choose to stay out of god's presence And when we enter into God's presence, we're the ones who would feign that rocks would fall upon us to prevent us from entering into his presence to hide us from him, just like Adam and Eve hid. What I'm talking about is the most fundamental of human experiences and in every single culture. It is a matter of opening our hearts. And I'm going to talk about something that we all know about at some fundamental level, but most of us are so completely forgotten about it that it's going to seem like some kind of fantasy and voodoo that I'm talking about, okay? That's how fundamental this is. An open heart feels the energy of love flowing into it, and the energy of love flows from a heart. I'm not talking about the organ that pumps blood. I'm talking about the very core. Remember that the word heart comes from the word core or core in Latin. In Hebrew, lib means center. It means the most basic central part of us. It's the eternal part of us. When we open our hearts, we know that the energy is flowing in. We feel it. It vibrates with life and love and energy and knowledge. A testimony experience for many people is just this experience of opening the heart when the knowledge of God flows into them. But it's not merely that knowledge flows in and the life flows into us because there is a real exchange of energy, spiritual energy. Our energy also flows out, our light shines, we give ourselves to others. People talk of heartstrings flowing from hearts, the radiance of hearts open to each other. We all know this experience, but over time we so effectively close our hearts that many forget what this experience is. I mean, a person can have spiritual experience. Experience at one moment and if we close our hearts the knowledge is gone and even a memory may not be sufficient to let us remember what it is to be in this kind of relationship with a heart that burns with knowledge that vibrates with love and that is open to receive and to give this is all a matter of heart and this is the way the scriptures speak of it hearts can be fooled they can be deceived when we harden our hearts but an open heart knows the truth and knows that it knows the truth. And so, I'm going to put this at a very fundamental level. When people lose their testimonies, their hearts have closed, and they can't even remember what it is to have this kind of knowledge. We have this kind of knowledge when it is a living, present reality within us as the current experience. So, a soft heart is open to know. And I've pointed out before in the Book of Mormon, And in the other scriptures, in the Book of Mormon, every single problem is caused by, is chalked up to the problem of a hard heart. And in the Book of Mormon, the solution to virtually every single problem is to soften our hearts, to choose to be open. Now, there are different ways of addressing this in human language. One is to simply say we're open to people. Another is to say that we have a heart-to-heart connection. Another is to say we made a connection. (laughs) Okay. In some ways, we just connect with people. And so this knowledge of, and this kind of experience of a heart is at the center of Christianity, because when we become Christian, our hearts are open, and Christ's life literally enters into us as an energy and co-shared life. We literally live in the light of God living within us. We literally share our light and intermingle it with God's to give to others as a gift. This is the kind of experience that people have very often, and it's not limited to being in the Mormon church, obviously. People all over the world speak this way. A loving heart or an open heart has to be one of the most common metaphors in poetry and literature ever, and so in every single culture, I may add. And so what we're talking about is the distinction, and it's not mere symbolism. It is real, literal, and an experienced reality and so when i talk of a softer hard heart i don't mean it merely as a symbolism i don't mean it merely as a metaphor i mean a literal experience where at the very core of our being we have this experience of being vivified of being given divine knowledge and energy and intelligence and we can close off to it a lot of things can cause us to close off to it again and we close off to it as we grow because our hearts have been hurt and we want to protect them and so in some ways this choice to protect our hearts is a very innocent choice, and it's a very basic human choice.
0: Yeah, so that leads into another parallel to draw from the Adam and Eve story. So after Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, they look at themselves and they notice that they're naked for the first time, and they judge them that that's bad or they're embarrassed to be this naked. And then in the book, you could say that, you know, before God, we are all naked. And we not necessarily talking about not wearing clothes. But the fact that there's no way to cover up and hide things from him, our hearts, our cores are able to be seen by God. And that's kind of how we will be seen. But like, you know, everyone tries to, I don't know, just like what you said, like when things happen and you get hurt, but most people don't like to show that they're hurt. So they're like, no, I'm, you know, I'm fine. And But like you said, they close off then, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's just like, I don't want to hurt like that. So I'm not going to, I... I'm sure there's varying degrees of it, and some people can get over things. But, you know, I think even just like past relationships, either with friends or like old girlfriends or something, when you get hurt, it hurts. And so you're like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm never loving again or stuff like that. But, you know.
1: And we have all these metaphors that we use in our language. You know, his heart melted or, or you know, his heart stretched white as eternity. And obviously, again, we're not talking about a, an organ in the body that pumps blood. But that's not the way the Hebrews used it either. They didn't even know about that. So when they're speaking of heart, they're speaking of something quite different. In any event, this may be the most fundamental reality about becoming a Christian and opening to God and the meaning of atonement. Because it's in the open heart, in the soft heart, where we're willing to receive the life of God into us and to give our life wholly to God without being hurt. Now, there are a lot of people who are angry at God. I have a friend who's very angry at God because he doesn't exist. But the bottom line is, is that God is only a choice away. God is the choice away to let go, be present, and open our hearts to experience what is here and now to be experienced. Now, we're stand naked before God. The reality is, is we can't hide. Adam and Eve tried to hide, but obviously when God comes down and asks them, Adam, where are you? He's not asking Adam where he is. He knows where he is. He's asking Adam to take account for where he is. And so we're all called to take account. Where are you in your relationships? Are you healing relationships? Do you continue to shove people away? What do your walls look like? How are you? And are you still causing havoc in the relationships with the people that you say you love the most? Because usually that's how it happens. And so this very basic reality of the experience of all human beings but in Christianity, additional light has been given through revelation as to what we're experiencing in a relationship with God and how the Atonement is working with us. Everything about Christ's life is designed to be part of the Atonement. It is to persuade us to open our hearts to him. And the bottom line, for me at least, is that this is the most fundamental experience of a Christian, of sharing God's life intimately in this way so that God really is Abiding within us, He really does live within us, and we are willing to let our light shine by letting our hearts be open and letting fully out in all of our authenticity to simply give all of our gifts in love.
0: You talk about another common symbol in the Bible is the ritual of circumcision and what it meant and why they did it. Because I, you know, on the surface, it's just kind of a barbaric mutilation of a child, you know, for some. But what. It is, at least from what I remember you telling me or, and reading is basically, you know, like, let's think about it. Let's take the most sensitive part of a man and then expose it, you know, cut off the foreskin that's covering it up and keeping it from being able to feel, I guess, more. And then, then therefore it becomes open. And you'd say that's kind of like a symbol for the thing that we should be doing with our heart, you know, removing whatever that is that's stopping it from being filled.
1: There's no question that this particular symbolism appears over and over again in both the Old and New Testaments, and the circumcision is the circumcision of the heart, and so we're asked to have circumcised hearts, and what that means is to expose our hearts, open our hearts to others, be willing to feel, be willing to be exposed, and it means vulnerability. A lot of people see vulnerability as a weakness, but the truth about vulnerability is it's an incredible strength. Because being vulnerable to others is being genuine and truthful and honest. Honesty comes from two words in Greek, hon and est. It means to be one with what is. And so when we're vulnerable, we are being one with what is. We're being open to whatever comes given the truth of who we are and what we are. In feeling the glorious joy of being in these kinds of loving relationships. I mean, and it is glorious and it is joyful and it feels so good. I often wonder, well, why do we do it? Why do we cover ourselves over this way? Why do we build barriers between us and others when it feels so fulfilling and authentic to be open and vulnerable with others? And the answer is, there's a real danger. When we open our hearts, our hearts can be stamped on. We can be rejected. It may be the case that we feel like we're going to have to go and hide forever so that we're not hurt again, but we're called to be open.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone has that feeling of, and it probably was, like you said, when you're a kid, you know, you're just, are you, you're full you, and you're like, this is me, I'm finally being vulnerable, and then the biggest fear is to someone to reject that, and so, you know, you're always putting this facade, and then you think, well, maybe if I fully share myself, then, then maybe they'd understand me, but like, everyone has a fear of like fully sharing themselves, having someone understand you, and then rejecting you for it.
1: And as you grow as a kid, and you know, we all experience that. We all experience rejection and and pain and hurt. The reality is, is life is just set up so that we have these kinds of experiences. I see people, for instance, who go through divorces, and my heart just goes out to them. A divorce is is a gut-wrenching experience for, for almost all people who go through it. And I see after people go through a divorce, how cautious they are to open up to other people because they've been through hell and they don't want to do that again. And so my heart goes out to them. I fully understand why they're closing off. I got betrayed. I'm not going to take that chance again. It hurt like crap. I just can't take the risk that I'm going to feel that again. And then to watch the beauty as they open to other people and take the risk again of having a relationship or relationships. I've seen it in myself, you know, when I've been rejected and how much it hurts. And, you know, we're rejected in myriad different ways. You know, you didn't get the raise that you wanted. You didn't get the position that you wanted. People thought that you weren't as good as as others. You couldn't do that. And they've rejected you. And it just hurts like crap. Um, It hurts our self-image, but it also hurts to the core of our being. It's usually not a conscious choice of, man, that hurts so bad. I'm never going to take that chance again. It's usually at a a more fundamental level where we're so resistant that, you know, it's like being shocked. Have you ever been shocked by electricity? Yes. It's like, man, I never want to do that again. I'm never going to stick my finger near that plug again so that I can get shocked. I really don't like that. (laughs) Not a pleasant feeling. yeah. You know, just instinctively, we just stay away from it. No, it's not a pleasant feeling. But going through a difficult relationship is even worse than that, and it lasts a lot longer. And so my heart goes out to people who are going through that kind of pain, and the question for us is, will we ever trust again? Will we ever open up and take the chance on a relationship again? Will we ever allow ourselves to take the risk that we might be hurt? Because that is the risk. And it's just the most fundamental reality of the atonement that the purpose of the atonement is to heal that pain. Most fundamentally, that's the pain that is being healed. This pain of rejection, this pain of of feeling like we're not good enough, this pain of feeling like we're not worthy of love and that there's nothing good enough about us. Would anybody ever want to be in a relationship with me again after what I've done? And that calls for us to go and repent and and do what we can to repair relationships. If I've got to admit that I stole something from you, I've got to restore it. If I said something to you that was hurtful and because I was lashing out at you because I was so hurt. It's up to me to then go and and do what I can to restore that relationship, apologize and ask for forgiveness and show that I can be trusted not to be a complete jerk again. It takes learning how to be in relationships over time. And, you know, I'd like to believe that over time we actually do learn to love. I'd like to believe that we learn to take this risk and to trust and to realize that no matter what, it's still worth it. It's worth taking the risk so that we can experience. And, And I think most people would agree. There's nothing more valuable in human experience than loving others and being loved. At the end of the day, that's really what matters. Yeah, that's what drives people ultimately. Let me read
0: these last two quotes together. They, you know, could be discussed individually, but I think we pretty much have discussed this first one, and then it leads into this next one, and then we can sum up with that. So let me introduce it a little bit. So when we harden our hearts, that kind of gives way to the culture we're all kind of familiar with. Is we put on a mask or a ruse and we try to think we're tricking everyone to not see how vulnerable or hurt we are and so we present ourselves in a certain way or we think we are and then we want people to see us a certain way and so that leads into this you say the very notion of a self-image is a type of self-absorbed concern about how we imagine others see us judgment is at the center of our pain Pain causes us to choose to harden our hearts. Rather than letting our light shine in the majesty of power and divinity that lies within us, we become a mere reflection of a false image. But Jesus overturned this false image culture. Jesus, in his ministry, pretty much gave three commandments. When he was asked, he said the greatest commandments are to love God and to love others, but also entailed in that is to love ourselves. So it's impossible, for example, for me or you to love others as we love ourselves as we're
1: asked to do without actually loving ourselves and what that means is being committed to give every gift that we have to give to simply be open and give up any real concern about how we appear to others we have a word for this you know attempt to put on a facade to appear to be what we really aren't that's called an ego And the reality is, is the only person who thinks that the ego is real is the person whose ego it is. We begin to buy into this and think, oh, that's how I really am. And then when we're shown to be a total phony, it's like, you know, we've been decimated because this facade that we put on has been shown to be just that, a big phony. And so what the command to love ourselves means, at least in part, and there's a lot more to it. And, you know, I go into that in in the book, in several books, actually. But at least in part, what it means is I don't have to put on a facade because I'm good enough just the way I am. I don't have to be someone other than I am. Only a person who believes they're not good enough the way they are will try to appear to be something different than they are. And so if we really love ourselves, we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. Now, let me give examples because self love is not self concerned love. It's the kind of love that occurs because we're totally willing to just take whatever risk it is to be who we are. And when I accept myself for who I am, it means that I don't have to put on any kind of facade thought at all. I'm good enough here and now. But it means a bit more than that. It means that I'm willing to not try to appear to be something that I'm not. I'm not going to worry what other people think about me because I accept me as I am. And so what other people think of me really doesn't matter. Let me give you a few examples. This is not self-vaunted, narcissistic, self-aggrandizement. This is just the way that it is. There are things about me that I really love about me. I love that I can get down and play just like a kid. I love that I can be with my family and just super enjoy being there and doing that. I love that at times I can just simply lose myself in just playing. I love that I'm like a little kid at times. I love, you know, there are a lot of things that, and, and they're just who I am. I mean, this is just me. And I love that about me. But what it means is I fully embrace this about me because it's it's who I am, and and I just delight in it. I'm just delighted to have this kind of, of playful little child in me that is so natural for me to just break down into. I mean, you kids see it every Christmas morning when I get out and break all of your toys. So, And there are things about every single one of us. There's an exercise that I suggest for people, and this is harder than you think. Look deeply into your own eyes in a mirror. Go to that deep level of authenticity and honest with yourself and tell yourself what you truly love about yourself. You know, for my wife, that she loves that she is totally into fashion and clothes and she loves that she has so many friends and she loves that she's just so open and loves to talk with them and that kind of thing. I love that about her too, but that's just who she is. And so this kind of of an exercise to just get in touch with what we truly love about ourselves, I think is a good way to open up and be authentic and just totally accept ourselves for who we authentically are, without any pretense. And then my experience is always that there is this gratitude to God, gratitude to those in my life for being in my life, and for being so loving and accepting of me, even despite all the things that I do. It's amazing to me, and so, and maybe that'll sound hokey to people, but self-love, an appropriate self-love that is based on not really being concerned about what others think because I don't have to have acceptance from others because I accept myself. I don't have to have their acceptance to be okay. I accept who I am. When we learn that lesson, and it's a very valuable lesson to learn, then we can move forward. Then we're no longer stuck in the past because the past doesn't define us. We're no longer at the mercy of some kind of overwhelming causal determinism and what went before us. Instead, And all of our creativity as a person freely choosing, we move forward and we choose the life that we want to live. We choose who we are as we go along and we choose what we love most. Ultimately, our lives will show what we love. Our lives will show where we spend our time. Our lives will show what we really are passionate about and that will show what we truly love. And if people truly love to fritter away their lives on things that don't really matter, that's okay. They don't need my approval if that's what they truly love. But I think if we really get down to it, I think most of us will admit that at the end of the day, what truly matters are our relationships with others and building and strengthening those relationships in a way that manifests our love.
0: Thank you for joining us. To support the podcast, donate at exploringmormonthought.com. Follow us on Facebook.com/forward/slash/ExploringMormonThought.